Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Garcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Garcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now... In the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Luis Garcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to the Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the Eight Side Network. Jared Allen joins us on Sports Byline, former defensive end and linebacker who played 12 seasons in the NFL with the Chiefs, Vikings, Bears, and Panthers. And he was a five-time Pro Bowler and a four-time All-Pro selection and had 136 quarterback sacks. And after retiring from the NFL, Allen took up curling, believe it or not, and formed a team with other former NFL players. He played in Super Bowl 50 with Carolina. And I, I got to ask you, you were born in Texas, but you grew up in California on a horse ranch. What was that like, Jared? Oh, it was great. You know, I grew up, uh, you, you learn a lot of uh, little about, you know, lots of uh, hard work, determination. And uh, so, yeah, we didn't, we didn't know any better. I was, uh, my dad managed uh, ranches and trained raiding cutting horses. So, you know, for us, it was just, just the way of life. One of the things that I've always found with people with that kind of background, Jared, and I think you'll agree to this, it gives you a work ethic that maybe you would not have had if you had done something, anything different than that. Am I correct in that observation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything, everything, you know, we had, we worked for. And, uh, you know, my dad, hey, my dad, my grandfather, you know, my grandfather was a, was a Marine Corps. He was a Marine for 23 years. You know, he lived on a little ranch up in Northern California. And uh, so I just, you know, the constant, you know, role models in my life were always hardworking and, you know, grit determination. That was always, you know, the foundations of, of what you know, if you needed something, you work for it, and uh, if you wanted something, you went, you worked hard to get through it to accomplish it and, and, and achieve it. And so, you know, those were instilled in me as a uh, as a young kid. And I think, you know, those are valuable lessons, no matter what you do. And I think sometimes, you know, people lose sight of that, obviously, right? Whether in your corporate America or whether you're in sports, you're not going to get nothing's handed to you. You got to uh, you got to go out there, work your butt off, and, uh, and have set goals and, and work hard to achieve them. You know, it's very interesting. I grew up in a military family as well, so I know what you're talking about. And uh, I remember a conversation I had with Ronnie Lott, and Ronnie was a military kid as well. And he said to me, he said, you know, one of the things about being in the military uh, family is is that you learn to be flexible. You learn to adapt. What was the best piece of advice your dad ever gave you? You know what? I, I, <laughs> I One of those things in my head, I just think, you know, I told my dad when I was eight years old I was going to be uh, – I was going to play, you know, in the NFL and be a pro football player. You know, some people say, okay, good job, you know, go to the school, do this. You know, my dad was like, well, you better eat, drink, and sleep it then, you know. So I think I don't think it was one set of advice. I think it was a, a core value system of of dreaming, like, right? Like he gave me that ability, that, that freedom to dream, and it encouraged me to chase it and do whatever it takes to, to obtain it. Um, and I think so that's probably what I, I remember the most versus like a single – you know, piece of advice. Um, 
And, you know, I think, and again, I think, I think it was more modeled after, you know, the ups and downs, you know, we had growing up and stuff like that. And you know what, the one thing I can always count on my family to do is, is to work their butt off. And, uh, and, and so that's kind of, you know, we never had that victimized mentality ever growing. I wasn't allowed. So I think those two things, you know, never, never being an, I can't. And, and if you want to do something, work your butt off and go get it done. You know, your career is an interesting one. After an outstanding college career at Idaho State, you were drafted by the Chiefs in the fourth round. You had immediate success. And as a rookie, you played 15 games, started 10, made nine sacks. And the following season, you had 11 sacks. And for your career, as I mentioned, you had 136 career sacks. What was your formula for success in doing that? Honestly, that's that blue-collar mindset. Um, I was never satisfied. I've always, always had a chip on my shoulder, right? You know, I, I laugh, but it, you know, I'm half serious. I said, you know, I was drafted 126. There was 125 people ahead of me that I didn't like, and I had to uh, prove that I was better. Than <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I just for me, it was, I just I've never felt like I arrived. You know, I always and, and that's that's the pressure I put on myself. You know, I was always my my own harshest critic, um, constantly wanting to outdo what I did the year before. You know, find it, find the air. You know, don't sit there and and. Uh, you know, relax and and in your successes, I would always harp on my on my failures and try to, you know, go back and fix that. So I think that was it. It was just it was just it was just work. Um, you know, obviously understanding football, right? You know, the mental side. There's just so many elements that go into it. It's just not a physical game. So understanding, you know, getting your body right, getting your mind right. You know, your your physical. You know, making sure that you know, you have your priorities, right? Like all that goes into being able to just have a clear, a clear focused mind on, uh, on, on the task at hand. And then again, setting lofty goals. You know, I had some great mentors throughout my, my career who taught me, you know, uh, technique, who taught me about goal setting, who taught me, you know, you know, how to, how to be accountability. So I think it all plays in hand, but at the end, at the end of the day, you have to be willing to go in there and put the work in and, and sports and life. It's, it's a cool deal, right? You get out of it, what you put into it. Um, you know, you know, you get to that level in the NFL and, you know, everybody's fast, everybody's strong, everybody has talent. So what's going to separate you? You know, are you willing to do more than the next guy to get where you want to be? And, and that was always my attitude. What did you expect the NFL and the caliber of competition to be like? And how was it similar to or different uh, from what you expected, Jared? Well, my biggest adjustment, obviously, my whole football career up until the NFL, I mean, I had never been a backup, right? You know, <laughs> so, you know, all the way from Pop Warner through through high school and college, you know, pretty much day one, you know, you're you're the guy. Uh, and then you get into the NFL, you're drafting, you're running with the two, you know, OTAs, training camp, you're running with the two, you got a nine-year vet ahead of you, this, that, and the other. So for me, I think there wasn't an expectation. Obviously, I knew the speed of the game would pick up, right? Um, but it was learning how to take advantage of the opportunities that I had. I think that was the biggest surprise, right? When you're, when you're getting 20 and the guy ahead of you is getting 40, you know, you got to make those 20 snaps better than his 40 snaps. So, um, you know, and then I had Lynn Styles. I'll never forget. You talk about advice. Lynn Styles came up to me. We were in OTAs, I believe one time. And he said, listen, he goes, just remember this. It's still the same game you've been playing your whole life, right? It feels the same length. It's the same width. And eventually you're going to play against the same people you played against in college. You just have different uniforms on right now. And when I took a step back and you, and you look at that and you, you, you focused in, okay, man, I'm not sitting there like, wow, I'm playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, or I'm in the building with Tony Gonzalez. I'm doing this. You know, I'm doing this. You're not looking at all the, all the fluff and you break it down to what is just natural game. It's just football. It really allowed me to, to focus in and, um, and, 
and do that, just play football, work on getting better and, and work on, you know, earning that starting job. So, but yeah, I guess my biggest surprise was, was learning, learning how to compete to, you know, to earn a job, basically to reprove yourself that I'm here for a reason. I've got to uh, clear one thing up. Fact or fiction? Did you credit your early 2007 season success to your mullet? Oh, yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> Explain so everybody out there listening uh, yeah, can understand. I so I, uh, you know, I made a bet with my uh, my finance guy, one of my best friends, and uh, I, I saw a picture of him. He played, uh, he played for ASU back in the late 80s. And, uh, and he, I saw his, his student ID, and he just we were out to dinner one night, and he had this amazing mullet. And so, right before the 2007 season, uh, I made a bet with him, like, who could have the best mullet by tax day, right? <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, I come out that year, and obviously I had a phenomenal season. And so, yeah, we made a joke about it, you know, what was on the set, and said, man, you know, it's like, uh, it's like Samson, you know? Once the hair started getting longer down the back of the neck, it just, you know, good Lord gave me a little extra strength. Um so yeah, we had we had fun with it. The team had fun with it. Man, Dustin Colquitt came up with the racing stripes for every sack to put in my. So it became a it became a, a kind of collective effort. And uh, heck, I'm still rocking one today. You know, once you once you realize something's so good, you just it's hard to get rid of. <laughs> From 2007 playing for the Chiefs through 2010 playing for the Vikings, you had 56 sacks. Now I remember watching a couple of your games, and I was amazed at your first step how directed in the right direction it was and how fast it was. Is that the key to getting to the quarterback more than anything else? Absolutely. Wasted, you can't have wasted motion. Um, I had great coaches. So technique, you know, I, I try to tell it to young guys, you know, ability takes you so far, you know, so you, you know, you have to, you have to study, you have to, you know, know what you're looking for. All your, all, you know, all your preparation goes into that gives you the ability to use your ability. Right. Does that, that make sense? And then, you know, you can't have wasted movement. It's such a high level. It, I mean, one step is the difference between a pressure and a sack. Um, and so, you know, I had I had great coaches that were technicians that, that harped on that, and I watched so much film of them. So understanding, you know, you know, a lot of it's credit to. I used to watch a lot of film of Derek Thomas, uh, Bob Cavalmas, my, my D line coach when I was in uh, Kansas City. You know, he taught me. I, I noticed how fast Derek got off the ball, even Leslie O'Neill and uh, guys like Neil Smith. And I'm like, what are they? Wow, I'm like, this is insane. He was, and he taught me, like, they're not watching, they're not listening to the count, they're not watching, they're watching the quarterback's hands. Because most quarterbacks will drop their hand right as they're asking for the ball, right? So that's something I learned early in my career and was able to, to pick up on that. You, know, you could watch film and you get in a rhythm of the game and, and you didn't, cadence doesn't matter, right? Because as soon as that quarterback drops, drops his hands, you're going, you're off right on the ball and you have a half step on the, uh, on the offensive lineman. Uh, stuff like that, understanding play clock, right? But yes, there's only there's a nuances that come into it. And, you know, but technique beats technique and you can't get to where you need to go. It doesn't matter how you hand fight, you know, and all that stuff. And you can't get off the ball. If you can't get lined up, and get off the ball, and that first step is so important because if you're burning, you know, burning, spinning your tires or burning grass, you know, you're just you're delaying it. You only got two and a half seconds max, you know, to get there. And, and so, um, but yeah, I would say that, that that's what it all starts with. It starts with that that first step, that get off, that explosive movement. We're talking with Jared Allen, 12 years in the NFL, and boy, he was a force when on the defensive side and getting to the quarterback, 136 career sacks and when we come back on the other side he's also done something for the troops 
that is very akin to my heart. And we'll talk about that and also about his curling career. We do that as we continue across the country and around the world. We've got you on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Jared Allen is with us here on Sports Byline USA. We're talking about his outstanding 12-year career in the NFL with the Chiefs, the Vikings, the Bears, and the Panthers. He was a five-time Pro Bowler and four-time All-Pro selection, and he had 136 career sacks. When you think back on your career, is there any one particular game that really stands out to you, Jared, more than any other? Man, you know what? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably a lot of Super Bowl sacks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the most gut wrenching still the game even, even above all the successful games I had was you know the loss in the 2009 in the NFC Championship when we lost to the Saints um, just because there was such a range of emotions I mean we get in position we, we're thinking we're, we're kicking a field goal we're going to the Super Bowl and you know arguably I think one of the best teams you know in the NFL for a long time if we would if we go on to win the Super Bowl we, we're probably talking about that team you know as one of the one of the one of the great teams that had been around for a while, but that game always sticks to my sticks to, to me just because it was, it was, it was such an amazing fun season. And it was a, um, that, that roller coaster of emotion. And, um, you know, unfortunately I think like I told you, you know, said earlier, I, I tend to, I tend to remember my, my faults more than I do my successes. And, uh, and that one just kind of sticks to me because it was unfinished business. It doesn't show that, that team. Since your retirement from football, you've picked up the sport of curling. Now I know, a lot of athletes pick up golf. They may pick up tennis. <laughs> you got to help me out here, Jared. Curling? Well, I do play golf. I do love golf. Uh, but, yeah, I took a bet from a buddy to see if I could try to make the Olympics. Uh, and curling seemed like the, uh, the easiest path at the time. And then, you know, while I was trying to assemble the team and coaches, we went ahead and won the gold, you know. Uh, in curling that, that following year, I was like, oh, crap. But it's been an absolute blast, man. Uh, <laughs> 
you know, learned a lot. You know, the, the world of curling is small. They've been nothing but opening um, or, you know, warm and, and, and opening and willing to, to learn or teach and learn because I think they understand I have a pure heart and I genuinely love the, love the sport. So, yeah, uh, you know, COVID put a damper on kind of, you know, our team that we had put together, we were trying to call it when COVID hit, we lost that season. So I ended up playing with a, with a couple different teams, um, you know, my team. And then, uh, you know, I got to play this last, round with uh last year and years year and a half or so with um with some other friends and you know went to nationals you know went we, we had we had you know qualifiers to get into the olympic trials where we lost in the quarters and uh it's been it's been an absolute blast that so we're gonna make we're gonna make a hardcore push in the next four years you know i didn't really want to go to china anyways so you know get get to go to hopefully go to italy in the next four and uh you know choose to his back representing so that's good but it's been it's been so much fun it's been great to get to know john um, and, and everybody over there, USA curling has been so great. Um, and just, to just, it's, I think it's fun to compete. It's fun to get outside of your comfort zone and compete. And, and curling is a sport where, you know, there is, there's so much technique into it. Right. But I, I like it. It's like golf short game, right? You can't be aggressive around the green. Um, and you have to have a short memory, right? And there's so many different facets and being able to control your adrenaline where I come from a sport where harnessing that adrenaline, you know, works for you, right? And a sport like curling, you have to be able to, you know, sweep from one end of the ice to the other and then come back and throw a stone and, and you know, get your heart rate down and not, you know, blast it to the house. So it's, it's, it's so cool because it's just so, so dynamically different than what, you know, obviously what I did my whole life. But Jared, please. Now, you, Mark Bolger, Keith Bullock, and Michael Ruse, you guys are not the dainty-looking type. I mean, how does <laughs> how do big guys on the ice work? <laughs> hey, we're like we're like dancing bears, you know. We, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we make it work. Yeah. Uh, so, unfortunately, the team's changed a little bit. Uh, you know, like I said, COVID COVID put a damper on a lot of it. You know, Keith had other things. Um, you know, come up so we couldn't commit the time that he needed. Uh, you know, Mark actually just opened a curling place here in Nashville, which has been great because it gave us some dedicated ice. You know, Roos got blessed with a you know with, a, with his first child, so uh, he's in you know deep into that. But uh, it's yeah, it's it is fun, especially Mike. Mike Mike on the ice is even the, the bigger anomaly because you know I'm I'm six six. I think he might have me by half an inch. He might be you know six six and a half six seven, but he's got me by about you know, 30, 40 pounds, if not more. So, you know, but, you know when, when both of us are on the broom, it just looks like two bodies hovering down the ice. <laughs> just, just sauntering. You know, you have done something. Uh, I've been over in Iraq and Afghanistan with Sports Byline on uh, seven different occasions in each country. And as I indicated to you a little bit earlier, it's the best thing I've ever done in my career, being with those men and women. You certainly have done that with your uh, NFL USO tours, but you've created your own charity, the Jared Allen's Home for the Wounded Warriors. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah, so we build homes and make them handicap accessible for, you know, um, the severely ended, you know, wounded uh, men and women coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, so we, we build homes injury-specific, so not each home is the same. We build the house specifically for the, the needs of that recipient. Um, and then we give it to a mortgage, you know, mortgage free, free and clear at the end of it. Um, so we started doing that in 2009. When I came back from my USO tour, uh, you know, like I said, I come from a, a long line of military veterans. So I've always had a, a high regard for, the, for, for veterans. And uh, my co-founder and a buddy of mine, he uh, he made me aware back in like 2007, you know, to the gap in adaptive housing when our men and women were coming back. I know nothing about it. Um, and it wasn't until I came back in 2009 where I realized, you know, I really wanted to do something to serve my country. And, and the best way I could do that was to serve those that, you know, serve us. 
Um, and so we, we kind of got together with another friend of mine and we just said, okay, you know what, like, what is it? Like, we don't want to just write checks. Like, what are we going to do? Like, what is, you know, so we kind of built it around a couple premises. Like what is, what does home mean? Right. We came up basically that our home is our most secure place at our most vulnerable time. Right. Um, and what is, what is, you know, what is my slice of the American dream? Like nobody deserves the American dream more than the men and women that fight for it and lay it on the line. Um, and it really comes down to, you know, that, that functional home for you and your family. So if you come back from, from serving this country and, and protecting our freedoms and, you know, you have to learn to walk, talk, think, you know, eat again. And on top of that, you're now learning, you know, a lot of these, they come home, they're, they're not in adaptive housing. They're either with a family member or sometimes they'll be in an apartment where they, they have to be on their prosthetics or they can't be in their chair where, you know, being on your prosthetics is really hard. So you're learning the stress that, that puts on to be able to, to have to go through all this and learn life again and then to have a house that doesn't function for you on top of it, um, you know, like to me, that that's a disservice. And so we took it upon ourselves to uh, to fill in that gap, and um, and that's what we've been doing since 2009. And we build our, we have some amazing partners, so we allows us to build homes all over the country. Uh, we allow our recipients to choose where they want to live, um, and we, you know, we just we're just a small family. We just recently gave our 24th house away. You know, a couple of days ago, just up here in Tennessee, and uh, we got six more projects going in, in the works, and so we just keep plugging along until until uh, we're needed no longer. We got about two and a half minutes left. Uh, you've been overseas, as I said, to the Middle East and other places uh, on the USO tours, and I loved your quote. It has been one of the best experiences of my life. Something that I'll never forget. We as players probably get more out of it than you do as soldiers and Marines. Is there any one moment in any of your tours that is engraved in your mind, Jared, that you'll never forget? The whole trip, honestly, I mean, my ESO tour was was uh, was amazing. It really, it really was. I think, I think the biggest thing that was no, the mass scale of organization, right? Like when we were at Arafjan, we were at all these different bases throughout Iraq and Kuwait to see such a large scale operation. But for the same cause, it, it just was, it was crazy. You know, any, any base we went to, the mission was the same, right? Obviously to, 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 uh, to defeat terrorism and, and, you know, all that, but, you know, just so many different levels to it. The amount of men and women just did the simple sacrifice that I think I didn't, you didn't even realize, right? You know, we, we were staying in the Taj Mahal of uh, accommodations and we had sand in every crevice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got the private trainer. So the, I mean, there's sleeping in tents, you know, you're, you got sandstorms coming through and, we got to spend time and speaking with, with the different, um, you know, different servicemen and women and just, just really getting to know some people. I still got friends, you know, that I talked to from that tour, uh, that I met over there and, uh, just, just super cool. And I, I just think, you know, the willingness to sacrifice, you know, I think people forget or take for granted that we're a volunteer, you know, our military is all volunteer. And so, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of men and women that, you know, I don't know, volunteered to be away from their family, volunteered to, to put their life on the line, volunteered, you know, for these tours. So, you know, we can sit back and do what we do, what we love. And, and so to me, that's where it was. Now, the cool stuff was, yeah, I got to, you know, I was sitting there, you know, in the back of a, an Osprey, what, you know, as we take off, you get to fly around Ospreys, popping smoke as Ospreys are landing. Like, that kind of stuff was cool. Get to meet, you know, a lot of the SEAL Team 5 guys and some of the recon guys. And you got to, you know, meet a two-star general and get into the command center. Like, they, that, that stuff was, was, was mind-blowing and cool. But I think the things that last, that weighed the most, I mean, that was just 
the simple everyday sacrifices of talking to people, like even the like men and women that are married over there, right? Right. But you don't even really get to interact, especially because if one outranks the other one, there's all these different rules, you know, even, you know, but they might be in, in country together, but at different bases. And so really you get to talk to your family once or a couple of times a week, you know, d- depending on your circumstance. And you just realize like the simple sacrifices that you, we take for granted on this side of, you know, I couldn't imagine only being able to talk to my kids, you know, once every two weeks or something, you know, it'd be crazy. Um, so yeah, it, I think that that's what just weighed on me. And, and, and it, it just the attitude. Thank you very much, Jared, for joining us. Take care. You're welcome here anytime on sports byline. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Right. Again, Jared Allen, former defensive end linebacker who played 12 years in the NFL with the Chiefs, Vikings, Bears, and Panthers. We continue on Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Garcella finally tells his story, and so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.